It's July 26, 2021, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on the show, new research from JLL and Corsight points to where malls are headed. Circular economy company Rent the Runway confidentially files for IPO. The coming e-commerce boom in the construction industry. And finally, number two grocer Kroger is making investments, but are they headed in the right direction? But first, in our shopping cart full of news, Albertsons continues making moves in the groceries delivery space, adding Uber to its list of marketplaces. Albertsons, the number three grocer in the U.S. after Walmart and Kroger, is in a fight for its life. This is despite the fact that Albertsons has been very forward-thinking in its technology approach, even launching a $50 million investment fund with noted venture capital firm Graycroft and signing with marketplace platform provider Miracle, among other investments. With the increasing role of e-commerce, Albertsons can't be content with its number three position or else it could get squeezed. They've been piloting micro-fulfillment centers, or MFCs, from takeoff technologies in the last couple of years. These MFC investments are similar to what Walmart is putting in its own stores. If you're wondering what an MFC is, it's essentially a mini-automated warehouse inside of an existing structure in the back office of a retail store. This is in contrast to Kroger's approach of using many $55 million Ocado fulfillment centers not connected to their stores. I think Albertsons has wisely chosen to keep investing in its stores, which leverage its existing distribution network. But back to the Uber discussion. Albertsons started with Instacart over four years ago with a few thousand stores. They finally expanded to DoorDash last month. And now Uber Eats has added over 1,200 Albertsons stores. If you are following other additions by DoorDash and Uber, almost every partnership announced by one of them seems to be matched by the two others. On the retailer side, this is a very savvy move because you don't want to be locked into any one platform, as well as the fact that all consumers are not on all platforms anyways. Most of them have some kind of preference. So what's the differentiator here? Customer relationships and advertising. I predict Instacart will have an edge in this marketplace corner of the market due to its unique data assets and strong advertising and targeting technology. The big competitive question for Uber is, despite the fact that the Uber CEO has said that delivering things is a much bigger opportunity than delivering people, can it invest enough to keep pace? Another big question, does that mean that Uber will be eventually forced to sell its unprofitable taxi business to keep up with Instacart? Our second story in the I Thought Retail Was Dead department. Does new data from JLL Retail and Coresight Research point to where malls are headed? An enterprising listener pointed me at a recent report from JLL about the future of retails and malls. Here are a few tidbits from the research. One, if you have dollar in your name, you are growing. Otherwise, eh, not so much. Roughly 45% of the 3,500 plus store openings in 2021 were for Dollar General, Dollar Tree, and Family Dollar, according to Coresight Research. Two, smaller grocery-anchored centers have fewer vacancies than other malls. This makes sense because there is less space to fill and people have an incentive to show up and replenish. The study indicates that the vacancy rate of these smaller grocery-anchored spaces is about half of larger neighborhood centers. I think what this shows more than anything is a continuing split in the market between discount, necessity, and luxury, with the middle falling out. What does that have to say about retailers like Macy's? Likely they need to completely reinvent themselves to stay ahead of the Grim Reaper. I would not be surprised in the least if they try to follow Saks in their Financial Engineering Hall of Fame by splitting off its e-commerce asset into another entity, leaving the head of retail at Macy's holding a very empty shopping bag. 
Our third story, in news that is not fooling anyone, Rent the Runway has confidentially filed for an IPO. Why file confidentially? They are likely for sale. A confidential filing allows potential buyers to get information ahead of others in the market for the next several months and kept from competitors like Stitch Fix, The Real Real, and ThreadUp. To recap, Rent the Runway raised $125 million at a $1 billion plus valuation in 2019. The business was absolutely decimated in 2020, with some reports I've seen that it fell as much as 80%. The news outlet Payments reports a down funding round last year, which put their valuation at $750 million. Since then, they had to shutter the few stores they had opened. Fortune Magazine reported that CEO Jen Hyman said those stores were about last mile, people picking up their subscription, and not about fashion discovery. This is actually not a good thing. It means that they weren't acquiring net new customers from retail. Recently, Rent the Runway jumped in the resale apparel market and moved ever so slightly away from their rental message. I do not predict any success at all in this new venture. In a world where fast fashion has become faster with Shein and the circular economy is gaining steam, there would be seen to be a better case for their original model than a resale model. Also, I think Etsy's recent acquisition of Gen Z-friendly Depop looks a lot smarter in this environment. What might happen, however? Rent the Runway is reborn as a fashion marketplace. Perhaps that is a likely acquirer of the company. But with rental in their name, it sounds like something would need to change pretty substantially. I wonder if any Watson Weekly listeners out there are brand makeover experts. Our fourth story, the coming e-commerce boom in the construction industry. I've noticed three separate data points in the industry this last few weeks. First, I don't care who you are, there is a new housing shortage in the United States with houses being bid up beyond all reasonable levels in almost every suburban market across the country. Second, the consistent evidence is that 3D printed and prefab construction market is booming with no signs of abating in the near future. Global industry analysts just released a report saying that the prefab building market will reach over $153 billion by 2026, a meteoric rise. Third, the construction industry is simply ripe for disruption. The previous generation of industry leaders is aging, most are over 55. And as the new digitally native generation comes online, it's safe to say that archaic technology systems and paper-based inventory and other ways of doing business are on the way out. This is going to create a lot of opportunities for at least five different types of players in this industry. Direct-to-consumer brands, marketplaces, commerce platforms, payments and financing companies, and supply chain. A few additional comments about a few of these sectors. First, on the topic of direct-to-consumer, who will be the dollar shave club of construction and supplies and equipment? Next, any industry whose supply is fragmented like building and construction supply materials is a low-hanging fruit opportunity for a marketplace. Unique supply is hard to come by, and that player is able to roll up the supply first and each niche category will receive outsized advantages. In construction marketplace news, recently French marketplace and e-commerce platform Mano Mano raised $355 million to tackle the supply and platform problem. Payments and financing has also seen innovation. Recently, an Austin-based startup called Build raised $30 million to solve supplier financing once and for all for this industry. One way or another, disruption comes for everybody. And our final story. Kroger is making investments in grocery, but are they headed in the right direction? TV's The Today Show recently got an exclusive video tour of not only the new Kroger Okada facilities, but also tried out their drone delivery system. If you recall, the number two grocer in the U.S. hired Okado, a supply chain robotics and automation firm, to the tune of several hundred million dollars 
for many facilities to deliver to consumers same day within a 90-mile radius. On the drone side, it's piloting delivery within one mile of a test store. Let's take drones first. I am still not buying that these drones will be everywhere and not crashing. Feels like an accident waiting to happen, hitting power lines, and then what? Is this truly more efficient than a dense local route? No, it is not. The drone pilots will start with certain bundles like movie night with popcorn, candy, etc. I feel a little bit like the newscaster for this Today Show segment when he said, wake me up when they can deliver a case of beer. First in Ocado, a $55 million facility that can only deliver 90 miles? Doesn't seem like a lot. Second, Kroger operates over 2,000 stores in North America, many of which are aging, which means it will need to expend capital to upgrade those stores in terms of pickup from store and curbside from those same stores as well. Now, it's introducing an entirely new distribution model enabled by expensive, centralized Ocado locations which also need to be replenished on grocery store margins. Let's look at how this compares to three players that Kroger is competing with, Walmart, GoPuff, and Instacart. First up is Walmart, the number one grocer in America. They are invested in micro-fulfillment centers within or attached to their existing stores, which allows them to replenish the same facility from their existing regional distribution centers. Seems like a more efficient cost model. Advantage, Walmart. Second is GoPuff. Hyperlocal, small distribution centers that may not have come to where you are, optimized for 15 to 30 minute delivery. Now reports are they aren't exactly hitting this target yet, but that's the goal. The bigger problem for them will be selection. Kroger likely has an advantage here and GoPuff may not go at them head on. But if GoPuff can scale faster across the country and have a better experience, selection might be something they can solve later. It's much harder to scale across the country than within a single facility. Advantage might be GoPuff. Third is Instacart. The company that everyone loves to hate, this is a four-sided marketplace business between grocery stores, consumers, brands, and gig workers. Extremely capital efficient and advertising oriented. In the short term, Instacart has taken the early lead in the online grocery market with its share rising to 30% of that market in the last year, while Walmart's share of online grocery is going in the other direction from 40% to 30% as of May 2021 in a confidential Walmart memo obtained by industry publication Recode. The big problem with Instacart is the grocery themselves that they have attached themselves to. Some might say like a parasite, others might say like a symbiont. Are these grocers actually optimized for faster and more efficient picking? I don't think so. Does that become an Achilles heel? Though today in widely predicted news, Instacart just signed a multi-year deal with robotics and supply chain company Fabric to offer its own version of automated fulfillment. It remains to be seen if retailers will trust it or even be able to afford it. This reminds me of Amazon asking if they can run your own direct-to-consumer website for you. That didn't work out too well for Target or Toys R Us. Bottom line, each major firm has placed its bets and anyone can win. I see Walmart and Instacart continuing to take share from Kroger in this environment. GoPuff? We wait and see how quickly they can roll out across America and expand their selection. If Kroger isn't careful, their opportunity in this market could fly away like one of their drones. That's it for this week. Till next time. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.